joined by David Rode, co-founder and director of Engel and Rode. Thank you very much for joining me, David. It's a pleasure. And where are you taking this call from? Uh, so I'm at our office in London. Uh, I guess it's uh, 10 past 10 here. Uh, so I guess we're in a slightly different time zone. Yeah, actually, I'm I'm also based in London, um, so I'm, <laughs> I'm not too far away. I'm I'm around Paddington. Um, All right, no yeah. different time zone. Yeah, exactly. Very similar time zone. Uh, if we were on opposite sides of London, then maybe it would be different uh, different time zone. Um, you're you're based kind of near Bond Street, is it? That's it. Yeah, we're about one minute from Bond Street Tube. Oh, very nice. Very central and easy to get to. So. One thing that I was really surprised about, which I read, is that a wedding ring can, that's made from normal gold uh, can br- produce 20 tons of waste. Sure, sure. So there was a campaign uh, a few years ago uh, by Oxfam and uh, Earthworks US, uh-huh. and uh, they compiled the data for that. And it's based on this idea that uh, big-scale mining companies will typically uh, grind up the ore that they produce and then uh, use toxic chemicals, mainly cyanide-based, to leach the gold uh, from the rock. And then that will leave behind this this toxic mine waste, which you you referenced. And it's, it's literally 20 tons for just one wedding ring? That's, that's, that's the stat that they came out with. Uh, and again, you know, it's, it's quite shocking because you, you imagine what 20 tons of waste looks like. It's not nothing. Uh, that must be like the, 10 elephants. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's a lot of waste. It's a lot of waste to make one ring. That's crazy because the number of people that, I mean, that, you know, if you just take the tube from Paddington to, uh, to Bond Street, I mean, the number of people you'll see on the tube you'll wearing a, lot a wedding rings. ring. Yeah, yeah, Exactly, yeah. And it's, they just casually and the amount of waste that's been produced to get to that point is craziness. It's, it's a big thing. And I think most people are oblivious to it. You know, yeah. uh, so, certainly, um, you know, since Blood Diamond, the movie 15 years ago, yeah. most, most people are conscious that there's been a problem with diamonds. Yeah. You know, whether they care about it or not is another question, but they're conscious of it. And but the, the, the thing with precious metals, that's, I think, uh, that's news to a lot of people. Yeah, I, I think it's um, it's one of those things that you don't really consider. Um, just you sort of just buy your jewelry and get on with it. And you know, sometimes it's one of the bigger purchases that you make in your life. So you don't really, you know, start. Re- you you're already maybe a little bit worried about paying however many thousands or more uh, for your ring, and so you're not really thinking like, where exactly does this come from? How was it produced? At least it's not the first thing that would come to mind for me. Sure. Um, but that's, isn't that exactly how you got started? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, we, we started this business at a point when I got engaged right. and uh, I needed an engagement ring. And uh, my wife, as she now is, she'd worked in Africa, not, not in a diamond producing area, but uh, through her, I was conscious of the fact there was this issue with conflict diamonds or blood diamonds. Yeah. And I knew if I went to her with a ring that wasn't traceable back to source, you know, it's not going to go down well. Yeah. Uh, so you, when you when you've seen the problem from the consumer's side, you, you yeah. kind of understand how pressing it is. And actually, just going back to your last point about the gold, you know, I think what we're seeing now is there's this whole millennial generation coming through mm-hmm. who are more ethically conscious than the generations that went before. Yeah. And uh, you know, when I said that most people weren't aware of the gold as an issue. I think that's that's changing. You know, perhaps as a perspective from a few years ago, it is mm-hmm. it is moving in the right direction for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, we did some market research uh, not that long ago that concluded that for 
from nine percent of millennials, the ethics of an engagement ring were the single biggest factor in making a decision. Wow, that's a um, sizable portion. Uh, it is. And now, you know, these people are very price, uh, you know, millennials are very price sensitive as well. So, you know, yeah. they have to feel like they're getting great value. Um, but, you know, 9% is, is a lot if they're putting that at the top of their list. And there's another 40 odd percent on top of that who, for whom it is a factor. Mm. So, you know, compare that, you know, if you look, say, 20, 30 years ago, if you'd done that research at that point, it would have been totally different. Yeah, I imagine people wouldn't have even considered it at all. Um, they wouldn't even have known what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And with the with the millennials now getting older and getting into that age where they are starting to get married, I'm sure that 9% is going to grow even more. Oh, and the generation that comes behind them, you know, exactly. even more so. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. You know, you look at the, the kind of what they're teaching in schools now. Uh, you know, my oldest daughter's 10 years old and I compare yeah. her kind of awareness of the world and ethical issues to mine at the same age. You know, yeah. it's a totally, totally different league. I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> You know. Yeah, it's well, it's great that they're teaching that kind of yeah. stuff and that they're that the awareness is going up. Yeah. Um, so what 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 I really like about England Road is that to avoid the twenty tons of waste, you actually don't even in some cases uh, you find uh, precious metals that aren't even. Well, what I'm trying to say is you you use recycled gold and platinum. Sure. So with the with the gold, we offer a choice. Uh, we offer recycled. We also offer fair trade. And uh, with the um, the recycled metal, uh, we get it from a refinery in the US that buys up old jewelry, melts it down, uh, refines it to pure, and then then sells it to us. Mm-hmm. You know, they have third party certification in place that there's no freshly mined metal in that mix at all. Oh, wow. So we know that by using their metal, we're not contributing to demand for more uh, mining, yeah. um, which obviously causes the problems we just discussed. Uh, the fair trade gold is from small scale cooperative producers uh, in South America who are um, uh, certified by the Fair Trade Labeling Organization. And, you know, they, they work under very tight um, guidelines in terms of the environmental impact. So they do use mercury in the extraction of the um, metal, mm-hmm. as opposed to the cyanide compounds that you see in the big-scale mining. Yeah. But the, the way that they use it is very tightly regulated. You know, so one of the problems with um, artisanal mining throughout the developing world is that the, the, the use of mercury is, is kind of uncontrolled in a lot of cases. What do you mean by artisanal? Uh, so, so small scale independent mining. Okay. So, you know, you know, a bunch of guys kind of um, working on, uh, just you know, on their own sort of without. Yeah, exactly. Not, not working for a big scale mining company. Got it. And so, you know, you'll, you'll see a lot of these guys splashing mercury around, which is obviously <sighs> extremely toxic. And yeah. cause a lot of problems. And so, you know, if you, the fair the fair trade gold uh, when it's produced, you know, it's un, it's very strictly re- regulated how that's done uh, yeah. to minimize, minimize environmental impact. Yeah, it's interesting because the phrase is "mad as a hatter," but I mean, if they're splashing mercury around, right, then it could technically be "mad as a miner," I suppose. It, it's it's not going to be it's not going to be pretty in the, no. in the long run. It's not going to be good. Yeah. So fair trade, because uh, fair trade is that the same fair trade symbol and body that does fair trade for food like you sometimes correct. see on bananas correct correct so the stuff you see the coffee and the the chocolate you see in the supermarket yeah. same deal so if you take a, a ring made in fair trade gold it'll come with a little tiny fair trade stamp on the inside and it's the same you know, one same little yin yang yeah. symbol that you see yeah, in, the, yeah, yeah. in the coffee just without the kind of garish colors you know it's just yeah. a little, little stamp in the metal What's cool I saw is that you're one of the first jewelers I suppose in the world to sell certified fair trade gold so it's been on the market for a few years now. Yeah, uh, back since I think 2012. Oh wow! Uh, and so um, 
basically uh, there's a number now. There's a growing number of licensees, fair trade licensees, who are who are licensed to sell it to the public. Yeah. Um, what you see is quite a few companies will have a license, but they won't really sell very much of it. If that makes any sense, they'll make one or two fair trade pieces. Right. Um, but then the, they'll have a kind of a very small fair trade range and then a standard line running alongside it. Got it. Whereas what well, we don't, you know, essentially we were set up as an ethical company. Uh, you know, it's not like we have an ethical line and a standard line running side by side. You know, if you if you cut us with the same color all the way through. Yeah, that's really cool. And so going back to the, the recycled um, gold, it's also not just gold, it's also platinum, right? We offer recycled platinum as well, for sure. And is there any difference? Can, like, can I tell if I were to look at a new, a ring made of newly mined gold or platinum versus recycled. Sure. Is there no, no no difference at all? No difference in terms of the quality at all. We can make the same ring for you twice: once using recycled platinum, and once we could buy platinum from the market, totally yeah. untraceable, unethical. Make the same ring twice, you wouldn't know which was which. Huh? So you you offer that as a choice? Uh, no, we just everything we do is recycled. We don't we don't use. Uh, a standard platinum from the market. Oh, not, sorry, not, it's not that we would make it for you twice. We we could yeah, do yeah. it. Got it. Got it. So your the the precious metals that you use are always recycled. Uh, they're all recycled except for the fair trade stuff. Got it. Makes so we offer, yeah we offer a choice recycled and fair trade. I see. I see. Okay. Cool. And then as part of that, I mean, most wedding rings and things have diamonds on them. Yeah. Um, so I don't think there's a way to recycle diamonds. No. So if you were looking for a ring that required multiple small diamonds, uh, we source those through a manufacturer who buys rough crystal from the Diabic mine in Canada, cuts and polishes, doesn't mix with other sources. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're looking for a big diamond, uh, then that would come under a, a label called Canada Mark, um, which essentially is the consumer-facing brand of a, a Canadian company, Dominion Diamonds, who mine the Akati mines and also Diabic mines in Northwestern Territories. And those stones are, uh, you know, laser inscribed with a unique tracking number uh, that uh, essentially allows the, you know, so that, that number we found on the stone itself, also on the paperwork we supply with the diamonds, also held on a database bed with, by the Canadians. Wow. And so our client can trace the stone independently of us, you know, verify it directly with the Canadians and find out, for example, what was the, the weight of the piece of rough crystal that the stone was cut and polished from. So it's essentially it's a birth certificate back to source. Wow. And so what it means is that, um, you know, once you know where the, the material's from, you can then, if you're interested, you can do due diligence in terms of how it was produced. You know, were there children working in the mine? You know, did it come from a conflict zone? Was it sold to fund military activity? All these kind of obvious questions, which, you know, if you don't have any visibility, then you can't really answer them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. So that's the importance of being able to, trace back to source so exactly exactly and so you know historically the problem in our industry has been uh that lack of visibility in the supply chain right so historically um you know a wholesaler might buy diamonds from 10 different places some of them might be quite quite ethical some of them totally unethical yeah and then mix those stones together you know they're not kept segmented in accordance with uh, source of origin they're mixed together they may be cut and polished beyond recognition sold on down the chain by the time you as a consumer ask the retailer, where's my diamond from? Or where's my sapphire from? Or where's the gold from? Yeah. You just don't have that visibility and uh, you can't get back to it. So essentially, we just have to work slightly outside of the conventional supply chains in order to make that work. Yeah, that's, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I was actually surprised to even know that Canada has diamonds. And I, right. I saw that there, it, Canada provides 15% of the world's right. diamonds. Right. 
That's amazing. Because most of the time, I mean, like you were saying, blood diamonds, that doesn't sound like something that would happen in Canada. As you say, I mean, most people, as you say, just assume diamonds come from South Africa. Right. Because, you know, historically that was the case, you know, so they had the big diamond strikes in the late 19th century. Mm -hmm. For years, they were the dominant producer in the world. They're not even in the top two or three now. They've, they've, They've fallen back. So, you know, Namibia produces a lot. Botswana produces a lot. Uh, Canada's big. Yeah. Uh, stones coming out of Russia, Australia. Um, those are the those are the big producers. The uh, so first of all, all of your diamonds and precious gems, uh, they're all you can always trace them back to the mine of origin. The same principles apply uh, with different stones, even if it's not exactly the same process. Mm-hmm. So what there isn't, you know, with with uh, colored stones, rubies, sapphires, emeralds, there isn't a laser inscription track and trace service the way there is with some of those Canadian diamonds. Right. Uh, but the same principles will apply. So, so what we won't do is buy from a wholesaler who's buying from multiple places and mixing the stones up. Mm-hmm. We'll only deal with somebody who's bought from one particular source and where we can verify that source, if that makes any sense. So we can yeah. still tell the client, you know, this is where your stone came from. And this is why we believe it's uh, an ethical production. And then they can, they can then decide if that matches their criteria or not. But if you just buy from some anonymous wholesaler who's got stones from loads of different places, then you can't, uh, you can't really make those claims. Does that mean that you're, you're trying to buy directly from the mining companies as uh, much so as possible? Typically, uh, what you'll have is you will have small-scale artisanal miners in different parts of the world. Yeah. And then our connection will be buying directly from those guys, if that makes any sense. Got it. So basically, the, the closer you get directly to the people, the, obviously, the more you know where it's coming from. Exactly. It's when you have either multiple steps in the chain or you have anonymous steps in the chain where stones are getting mixed up, mm-hmm. that's where you have a real problem because then it's very difficult afterwards to unpick it as we, as we discussed. Yeah, it makes sense. And so um, one, one, one thing I really liked about the Canadian company that you were referencing, I, I took a look at, on their website and they take care of, their, of the environment when the mining is finished. Yeah. Um, because I guess what, when they're mining, it seems like you have to, essentially dig this massive hole in the ground and like you have to move all that earth somewhere um so what what happens when they're when they're done with the mine as you say i mean this is um this is something that's really important because the truth is it's not like uh, a few hundred years ago where you could pick diamonds out of riverbeds in india for example you know a lot of the big historic diamonds from a long time ago were like that you know basically almost zero environmental impact amazing no, these days it means, generally speaking, drilling down into a pipe and extracting stones from under the ground. And that has an environmental impact any way you look at it. Yeah. And, you know, it's not like uh, mining for gold, for example, where you need to use toxic chemicals to, to, to extract the metal. But it, there is a physical impact on the, the landscape that has to be mitigated. Um, so it's, it is important that these um, companies are operating in um, countries with... Uh, you know, robust environmental legislation yeah. that is going to is going to look at how these things are are fixed. Um, you know, actually, on that point, it's worth it's worth looking at the limitations to what anyone can do in this area, mm-hmm. because I guess we don't pretend to our clients that our product is one hundred percent ethical. It's very close to being one hundred percent ethical. It's as ethical as it's possible to be, and it's much more ethical than most jewelry on the market. Yeah, but it just isn't possible to be perfect. So. For argument's sake, uh, you know, once a, a diamond has been extracted, you know, it's going to cross the world by FedEx. You know, we're racking up air miles. Mm. 
you know, there's a footprint attached to that. You can't get around. You're all right. It's not a big bulk item. You know, it's a small item, but it's still going to have an environmental impact shipping it around the world. Yeah. Or, um, for argument's sake, refining uh, recycled metals, you know, involves melting these metals at high temperatures. You, you can't get, you know, and removing impurities. It can't be avoided. It's a lot cleaner than, you know, the, the, the 20 tons of mine waste that you referenced earlier from fresh mining. Yeah. But it's still not perfect. Uh, or as an alternative to Canadian mine diamonds, we also offer lab-grown diamonds, you yeah. know, uh, cultured stones. And, uh, but even those, you know, there's an environmental impact to making those. You know, uh, in, in most cases, you know, you have companies now which, who, who are claiming that they've minimized that environmental impact of um, creating these stones under a process, high, high temperature, high pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, they claim they've made it very clean now. But again, it's still not going to be perfect. And we're still going to have to ship these things around the world. Right. So the truth is that, um, but I, I think you can apply that logic to almost any, uh, you know, quotes unquote ethical product. You know, what we're not saying in any of these cases, you know, the, the, the fair trade coffee is still going to have to be transported from wherever it's produced to exactly, yeah. the supermarket. It's still going to have uh, an impact to it. Um, what we're not saying is there's absolutely zero impact. Mm-hmm. What we're saying is it's been minimized literally as far as it can be minimized. And if you want that product, you have to live with the fact that you have an impact and we're doing it as well as it can be done. Yeah. And I suppose you can always since you're minimizing it so much, you can always, um, I mean, you can always offset that remaining amount with planting trees or some other kind of environmental work. Exactly. And, you know, our our commitment to our clients is that we're going to explain to them what these issues are. You know, we're not going to, we're not going to evade them or avoid them. You know, we can be absolutely open and then they can take a view on a, do I want a ring? If these are the the implications, them truthfully they just want to feel like they've done it the cleanest way they can yeah uh and also you know if they want to do other stuff in their life beside that that's obviously something they can they can do yeah i think it's a it's a great point so going back to uh what what's done with with the environment once the mining is finished what do you have a a view on what exactly they do with the yeah the the so far none of the big scale canadian mines have been worked out and closed down yet Okay, but there is legislation in place that's going to dictate how they're they're tidied up and uh, mm-hmm. and returned to a, a a proper state after they're done. Right. So you know we're talking about uh, future work, but that is written into law. So uh, I think we can be fairly confident that it will all be enacted. Yeah, that's great. And is are these kind of things uh, with the other um, with the other countries? Uh, you know, you were saying like Namibia, for example, and Russia. Is yeah. there any sort of ways that that they're being ethical and environmentally friendly in those sure. countries. Uh, difficult to say, you know, not mm-hmm. to a point where we're confident about stocking their stones, if that makes any sense. I see. Uh, so, you know, clients will sometimes ask us, you know, um, you know, wouldn't it be great to do something for um, diamond miners in Africa? Mm. You know, and absolutely one day there will be a fair trade African diamond on the market. And when there is for sure, we will stock it. Yeah. But that's some way off in the future. You know, it's, uh, yeah, it's not going to be within the next few years. Mm -hmm. So I guess what you're doing is shifting the demand over to uh, basically certified fair trade mining and and mines where it's very obvious and very clear to anyone who searches that it's ethical and environmentally friendly. And by shifting the demand is really encouraging others to follow suit. 
I guess in a sense, I mean, rather than shifting it, we're meeting a demand that exists. Okay, you know, yeah. I guess, um, you know, in the end, consumer power drives all the change in our industry. Exactly, yeah. And, uh, you know, we believe that we're ahead of the curve in, in terms of um, looking to address that. But, uh, yeah, it feels to me like there's a general process of education that exists outside of our industry, you know, mm-hmm. which we talked about with these millennials who are very conscious, very aware. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, where they go, then the market will follow. Absolutely. Going to the, you mentioned lab-grown diamonds. That's really interesting. And you called them cultured, which sounds really cool. Um, I mean, diamonds, as far as I understand, it's basically carbon that's just under a lot of pressure for a really long time, right? So how does... Exactly, exactly. So um, basically diamonds that are mined, they were produced under the earth's crust millions of years ago. Mm -hmm. There were little bubbles of liquid carbon uh, at very, very high temperatures, very, very high pressures. Over time, those little bubbles gradually rose to the surface mm-hmm. and they cooled down and um, they became the rough crystals that we dig out of the ground now. Mm. And you know, during that process, you might get impurities trapped in the crystals, so little black carbon specks or uh, little bubbles or little kind of tiny cracks or whatever. And these are, these are what uh, we call inclusions. So when we, when we look in a diamond now, we see the imperfections in the stone. Mm-hmm. Those are said to affect the diamond's clarity. Those are natural inclusions. Those are things that were created during the, the natural process of the diamond being formed over millions of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the process by which um, lab-grown diamonds um, are created now, or, or cultured, I'm just cu- I'm parroting the, um, the terminology those guys use when they're talking yeah. about their product. Um, the the process uh, high temperature high pressure essentially they they look to recreate that process that took millions of years under the Earth's crust in a laboratory over the period in a much much shorter period of time. Um, again, I'm not a scientist, yeah. um, but essentially that's what they're doing. They're they're recreating that process, and they will seed a tiny amount of diamond into that, and then they'll build around that diamond with that oh, process. Wow. Uh, there's another. Um, alternative way of doing it i think it's called gas diffusion Mm. um which again i'm not an expert on at all um but i think there's been different companies have pioneered different uh techniques and um yeah it's moving forward really fast it's more moving forward really fast it's incredible i'm sure the like you were saying earlier the environmental impact of that i mean there is some but it's not going to be the same as going into a forest somewhere in the middle of canada and just digging a massive hole in the in the earth it's funny because you listen to the the people who've got a vested interest in these two different routes talking and they'll, they'll yeah. you'll, you'll come away with a slightly different impression. Um, you know, I, I spoke to one salesperson at one of these uh, lab-grown diamond companies a while back and she said it's like running your hairdryer for a few days wow. to make a, a significant sized diamond. Huh. So, you know, it doesn't sound so bad like that. Yeah. Um, flip side is I have verifying that. You know, this is her data. I don't think there's any data in the public domain that confirms it's like running your hairdryer for a few days rather than right. like running running your car for a couple of days, you know, which is obviously a, a different thing. Yeah. I, I'm inclined to believe her, you know, because I think at some point they will probably start publishing this data because there will be increasing amounts of demand for it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there, there is some impact, generally speaking, although yeah. they, some, of the, some of these companies now claim to have made it very, very clean. Mm. Yeah, makes sense. I think, um, especially as they as they keep improving the process and doing research, they'll find more efficient ways of of making it. As you say, there's a company in the U.S. now, Diamond Foundry, who claim to have really cleaned the process up in a big yeah. way. 
again, you know, this is, you know, we're working with their data rather than kind of uh, externally verified data, but it's still, um, it, it's, yeah. it's interesting. It's, it's moving forward. And can you tell the difference between, I mean, if I, if again, the whole thing about putting it in front of me, would I be able to actually yeah. see the difference? Not to the naked eye. Now, if you took the two stones to the laboratory, the laboratory will be able to tell you which was which yeah. for sure. Uh, but no, if you were to walk into a shop and uh, saw two rings side by side, yeah, you wouldn't be able to tell. Would Would you be able to tell looking at it closer with your... With not, your... not with a jeweler's glass, no. Wow. Uh, in the laboratory, they can tell no problem at all. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's that level of analysis that's needed. So it's it's pretty much, I mean, for all intents and purposes, it's the same. I mean... Oh, yeah. I mean, they are diamonds that we're talking about. Yeah. You know, the fact they were produced in the laboratory doesn't mean they're not diamonds. Um, they're not substitute. They're not like cubic zirconia or mosinite right. or other kind of mm. materials that historically have been used as cheap substitutes for diamonds. You know, yeah. they are they are diamonds. I wonder whether that's... Chem- sorry, I cut across to you, sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, chemically, physically, they have the same properties as diamonds. Yeah, yeah amazing. I, I suppose, uh, yeah, there's probably certain things that are different in terms because of the length of time that they were made. Maybe that's... Yeah, it's on a microscopic level that there are yeah, differences. Yeah. But they are, they are physically, they are diamond. Yeah, that's um, amazing. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know... In terms of how they're marketed, you know, it's very important that they're marketed differently so that people understand. You know, it's about disclosure. It's about people understanding what it is they're buying. Um, yeah. And that's partly because, you know, there's a, there's a price difference. You know, they, they, they tend to trade at a discount relative to mine, mine diamonds. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's important that people understand what price they're paying for what product. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, gonna, I was going to say that I wonder what lab-grown diamonds will do to the diamond market, but it seems like they're not really they're, they are different products so it's not like you can just flood the market with you know a billion tons of lab-grown diamonds and then all of a sudden the price drops because people will sure. say well those are lab-grown versus versus mind well that's the thing i guess at, at the moment clearly you know people are prepared to pay more for mine diamonds yeah. you know that's the state of the market now um so i guess uh I guess what would be totally, uh, I guess, unethical and illegal would be to sell a bunch of uh, lab-grown diamonds as mine diamonds. Mm-hmm. But that, that essentially would be fraud. Um, yeah. But uh, what, what we haven't seen at the moment is the availability of um, lab-grown diamonds just destroying demand for mine diamonds. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, who knows what will happen in 10 years? You know, it is, there is more demand. I'd say in the last year or two, there's been more demand for lab-grown than previously. Mm-hmm. But it's still relatively small compared to the demand for, for mine diamonds. Yeah, and maybe as people start to see more and more, you know, or start considering the effects potentially of mining diamonds, uh, that, yeah. like with, with the millennials and thinking about certified gold and recycled gold and so on, it could shift. As you say, I mean, here's the thing. We're very happy offering both. Yeah, you know the the traceable Canadian diamonds and the the lab grown diamonds. We offer them side by side, and you know we will then provide consumers with the information they need on both of these, and they'll they'll make their decisions. Yeah, makes sense. And as we um as we're starting to wrap up, I'm just conscious of time here. I'm, I always like to ask, kind of as an inspiration, um, because you, you're doing so much great work uh, to be ethical and environmentally friendly. What do you do on a personal level um, to be like on a, on just on a day to day basis sure. to be environmentally friendly? Uh, just within our company or um, just yeah. ourselves? Or, yeah, you know? within your company, at work, at home. Sure, sure. That, that, yeah. I mean, I guess here's the thing. I guess, you know, speaking personally, you know, I, I, I try to be good about doing my recycling. Yeah. You know, and to not use 
plastic waste, leave plastic waste around and, you know, all the obvious stuff that we should be doing, you know, I'm not yeah. perfect at all. I certainly wouldn't want to hold myself up as some kind of model for what we should be doing. I'm sure, you know, you could drill down and find lots of things I should be doing better. Um, I think that's the case but, for all of us. Yeah. But we try to, you know, as a company, we try to um, look at different aspects of our business. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we're a living wage employer, for example, mm. um, which actually a client of mine, you know, a few years back actually works for Living Wage Foundation. And he came in and, um, you know, first thing he asked, is, you guys are living wage employer. And um, I thought, actually, yeah, that's something we need to do. You yeah. know, and he, he gave me a hard time about it. Um, I was thinking, though, you know, we haven't got anyone here on minimum wage anyway. Yeah. And he said, well, what about the, the people from the landlord who come in and clean your offices? Good point. I hadn't thought about that, you know, because because yeah. we don't employ them. But then we have to. Then we need to go to the landlord and find out what's, mm. you know, what are they getting paid, and yeah. actually that's something we need to address. Um, so you know, how should I put it? Um, you know, you fix one thing, then you find out about another. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's a constant. It's a constant process. Um, so you know, I certainly wouldn't uh, want to stand here and shout about how great we are. We 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 do. We do what we're aware of, but I'm sure there's more things that we we need to look at that we're not yet aware of. Yeah, well, I think um, taking one step at a time, and you know, we're, we're we've been discussing the amazing work you've been doing as England Road with your precious uh, metals and the and the stones as well. So, uh, you know, the things that you do around that as well, just kind of like continue to build it up. And yeah, um, yeah it's a, it's I think it's a constant process of re- refinement and. As you were saying, it's not about being perfect. It's about doing your best to minimize and get as close as possible, I would say. So, yeah, hopefully we're moving in the right direction. Yeah, exactly. And so where can, um, you know, if, if people wanted to learn more about England Road, see the work you're doing, even purchase a ring or, or some stones, where, where can they go to find out more? Oh, uh, they go to our website, www.englandroad.com. Or just Google us. It'll, you'll get there quickly. Excellent. Um, uh, feel free to give us a call anytime. Perfect. About this stuff. Well, um, David, thank you so much for your time. It was really great talking to you. Really interesting to hear about this process and all the work you're doing. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, give us a five-star rating. And also, please subscribe, whether on your podcast app or on YouTube. And that way you can be the first to know about new episodes. Thank you very much and talk to you soon.